Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for September 1st is Ezekiel chapters 18 and 19. Throughout the book of Ezekiel, we see the people of God making excuses for the way things are, for the way that they've responded, for the way that they've acted. And there's a lot of blaming of other people and very little responsibility being taken for their actions. In chapter 18, the word of Yahweh came to me, Ezekiel. What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. So the people were speaking and using this proverb or this saying, this idiom, which basically meant because of the things our parents did, we are in our current state. It's not our fault. Ezekiel, why do you keep prophesying this judgment? We haven't done anything. It's This judgment is happening because of what our parents did. And God is saying, isn't every life judged for its own actions? But our temptation is to always say, it's not our fault that we are the way we are. It's our parents before us who are to blame. I see this most commonly in our society today. When people talk about how much they have. Oh, you're lucky. You're rich because your parents were rich. Your parents taught you how to manage money and they gave you money. People complain. And I remember people saying that about Trump. Oh yeah. Well, you're only a billionaire because your dad lent you a million (laughs) dollars. It would be nice to have been lent or given a million dollars in the 1970s or whatever year that was. But you still increased it by a thousand times. There's some merit in that, I would think. But we, I know I, myself, in the past, I'd look at somebody who's far ahead of where I am and think, it's just not fair. I wasn't given that opportunity. But now, once I've started to learn humility, saying, I don't have it figured out. I can learn though. I can learn. And once I embrace the ability or the desire to learn, to acknowledge that I didn't have it all figured out. And it's, there are things within my control. There are things that I can control. I've come light years. I'm still not where I want to be. I'm not able to help the number of people in significant ways that I would like to be able to help. But my life is so much better, financially speaking, than it was a few years ago when I did not take responsibility. And what's true in the physical, in the financial, in the emotional, in the spiritual, they're all linked. What's true in one is true in the other. And it goes toward your heart attitude and your willingness to acknowledge 
Do you have room to grow? Are you willing to grow? Are you willing to admit that you were wrong? Because if not, there's judgment coming, friends, on all of us. I'm certainly not better than you or anybody else. Perhaps I'm even worse off because I acknowledged, I I came to understand that I could not figure it out on my own. I needed to learn from others. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to the understanding that we do not have it all figured out. The secret to overcoming in this life is humility. It's the currency of heaven. It's recognizing the need to grow and embracing the opportunity to learn that will elevate your place in this life. And again, I used the analogy, the example from finances. But it applies in everything. Most importantly, the spiritual. So Ezekiel is saying to the people, God is speaking through Ezekiel, and he says, everyone gets what they deserve. There is personal responsibility. We're all responsible for ourselves. We can all achieve limitless potential if we're willing to do the hard work of claiming spiritual and personal responsibility. Responsibility for our spiritual lives, our physical lives, our emotional lives. Friends, there are some people listening to this right now who feel like they cannot move on and they cannot achieve happiness because of the things that were done to them. Horrible and despicable things. Abuse that was done to you. And friend, it was not your fault what they did to you. It was not your fault. And If you hold on to that pain, it will limit you. It will stunt your growth. It's not for their sake that God says to forgive them. It's for yours. It's for your benefit. It's so that you can have wholeness and that your potential will not continue to be hindered by their sin and what they did to you. There's a very simple prayer as you think of those events that took place. Just say, Jesus, take this pain from me. Take this hurt from me. Take this depression and this anxiety. Take these harmful emotions and name them each one by one. And ask him for healing. He is the great physician after all. Repentance always leads to grace. God says, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Yahweh declares, instead, don't I take pleasure when this wicked one turns from his ways and lives? 
different. You could be a horrible person for 80 years and in your 81st year repent and God says, I will keep no record of those wrongs. And there are two things happening in this. One is the physical realm. If you sin, if you take another life, your life will be taken from you. That is the first covenant. The first covenant, I believe, represents and refers to mainly what happens in this life. You can be forgiven. You might still have to deal with the consequences. If you steal, you can be forgiven. You will be forgiven if you repent, but you might still have to go to prison. You might still have to reimburse the person you stole from, make restitution. The new covenant that came through Jesus' shed blood is forgiveness. It refers to forgiveness. It refers to the kingdom of heaven. And you can enter the kingdom right now, whether you are in prison, whether you are in poverty, whether you are in sickness or in health. You can enter into the kingdom of heaven right now. The first covenant is all about life and death and prosperity in this world. And Jesus did not come to abolish it. He said he came to fulfill it. It's still in effect. It's natural law. People, when complaining, are practicing functional atheism. In verse 25, the people say, The Lord's way isn't fair. God says, Think again. It's actually your way that's not fair. Would it be fair for somebody to not have to pay the consequences for their sin? If somebody steals from you, do you want me to look the other way so they can just continue to steal from other people? If there's a rapist on the loose, should I let them go so they'll continue to rape and harm other people? There must be consequences, God says. It's your way justifying your sin. It's your way that's not fair. Think about it rationally from the author of rationality. We have these allegories in chapter 19. One is about the princes of Israel. I believe it's referring to the Davidic line of kings. It talks about the lion, this lion. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And in verse 4, when it says, The nations heard about him, he was caught in their pit when they laid him, when they led him away with hooks to the land of Egypt. I believe it's referring to Jehoaz that we read about in 2 Kings chapter 23, who was king, son of Joash. And he was led away to Egypt because of his sin. And the people of Israel were like, where is our king? Bring back our king. Instead of looking to the Messiah, the one to come, the true lion, the true fulfillment of the promise David made to the promise God made to David that you will have a son forever on the throne was referring to Jesus, the Messiah. People didn't see that. And maybe those who did wanted the Messiah to come and save them, but they weren't willing to turn from their sin. And so God would say, I'll send the Messiah, but you're not going to like it because he is not coming for you, your heart. 
is not right. Your heart is far from me. And that's why when Jesus came, he said in Matthew chapter 7, there will be many who say to me on that day, referring to judgment day, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, you evil doer. The second allegory in chapter 19 is that of a vine. We see this used repetitively of Israel, the vine, Israel, the chosen people of God. Are you producing fruit or are you not? These should spur us to pray, to seek God, to say, God, help us, help me. Father, get me to where you want me to be. The most powerful and the most dangerous prayer you can pray, dangerous to your flesh, is God, do whatever it takes to get me to where you want me to be. The good news of the gospel is good news spiritually to your soul, but not to your flesh. The good news of the gospel will save your soul, but it requires that your flesh die. You can't do it your way anymore, friend. The good news is you don't have to be set free from that. And then God can really begin to use you, to work with you, to partner with you, to change this world, to advance his kingdom for the glory and for your good too. May he do it. May he bless you as you seek him. We'll see you tomorrow.